Coming up on the Assassins Podcast, we've got Brian Chow, co-founder and CTO of Webflow, jumping on the show to talk about Brian's journey to building a unicorn and the three signals that gave Brian the conviction that they were onto something pretty massive with Webflow. Bryant lays out his suggestions for entrepreneurs that are trying to find and recruit a technical co-founder. And he also talks about the traits that make an exceptional founding CTO. Lastly, we talk about Webflow's origins as a self-service business and how he and his team made the leap into enterprise and how they've matured as an enterprise-grade solution. Brian is one of the most talented and brilliant people I've had the opportunity to work with. So this episode is absolutely fire. All right, without further ado, let's get into the show. Assassins, giddy up. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind. Assassin state of mind. Hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line. Assassin state of mind. Hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind. Assassin state of mind. Hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line. Assassin state of mind. They say money over everything. Everything, Asian again. What is going on, everybody? Happy Friday. It's your host, Justin Vandehey, here at the Assassin's Podcast, where every week we have founders on the show talking about their journeys going from zero to one. This week on the podcast, we've got a special guest. He's a close friend. He's the co-founder and CTO of one of the fastest growing SaaS products at Webflow. He's an investor and advisor to startups via the Pioneer Fund. He's honestly my most successful friend, but I'll also add that he's an above average golfer as well, for what it's worth. <laughs> Brian Chow, welcome to the Assassin's Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. I've been on a few podcasts, but this is one I'm a little nervous about since you're <laughs> one of my friends and you know too much about me. So, <laughs> yeah, we're going to keep most of the North Beach conversation aside for the purpose of this episode. Uh, well, I'm sure there's probably some listeners, honestly, that are like, hey, what was Silicon Valley like in 2010 and 2011? Yeah. And I'll <laughs> tell you what, it it honestly, it looked like a butthole where we were living at the Crystal Tower Apartments. I think that was about, there was not a whole lot of class coming out of uh, the bottom of Columbus Street at that that point in time. But the rent was right. legit. I think we paid like 400 bucks a month or something at that point. And now no it, way. I don't know, man. It was the now I don't know if it's 400. Yeah, you can't even buy a parking space for that much a month, right? It so. did have that uh that that nasty pool that I don't think anybody ever I don't think anybody ever used, but anyway. So, all right. Let's kick it off with a little about Bryant's background. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about the journey for the listeners, the journey to founding Webflow. Yeah. Let's see. Where do we start? Well, maybe we just started at Intuit. And so, you know, Justin, you and I, we came to know each other back 2008. I remember it was like our first week at Intuit and we just like both had this delirious hunger about us. And I remember just like, us doing really silly things at work, such as trying to flag down the general manager of this massive business unit and try to pitch them a, like a new strategy or something like that. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes. Who was that? 
I don't even know. I think Stephen was it was this Stephen Aldridge? Yeah, or, I think he's the CEO of GoDaddy now. Anyways, he, he was um, like a chief product officer at GoDaddy. I think I'm pretty sure. Yeah, hilarious. So you and I, we we both had the spirit of just we wanted to build stuff. We wanted to make stuff happen. So fast forward a couple of years, I was working on a project at Intuit, and that's where I met Vlad. Vlad's the CEO of of. Webflow and my co-founder. And uh, we hit it off. We were building this product called Intuit Brainstorm. I learned so so much from him, learned so much from the core team that was working on it. There was, there was a GM at Intuit at the time called Roy Rosen. I don't know if you remember him, but what an impact he had on all of us, early stage, early career folks. And I'm sure we'll get into it later, but one of the big takeaways for me was and when i think upon like the building blocks that i had early on in my career it was those early days at intuit it was being surrounded by people like roy rosen and other just incredible products and strategists so then fast forward to 2013 i had left to do another startup and vlad approached me and he was like i want to make this this webflow thing a reality and at that point he had been working on it for nine months and it didn't really get anywhere. So I think when I came in, it was really a, hey, let's get serious about building a product for web designers, you know, kind of started from first principles. This is the market that we wanted to go for. This is the kind of spirit of our product and um, got into Y Combinator summer 13 and we're kind of off to the races. The story behind Webflow, I know that you and Vlad there were several runs at getting the company founded and off the ground. And I just, the sheer level of just determination and grit that you guys had to go through in the early stages is remarkable. Mm. What was it that like gave you guys the conviction that you were onto something massive? Were there specific market signals that were saying, hey, keep going? Because oftentimes I feel like when you're building, you're sort of in the dark, you don't know, but like, were there signals that you guys were onto something massive when you were when you were going through the grind? Yeah, I would say there were three signals that were pretty clear. The first signal was March, 2013. We, we launched this playground. So playground.webflow.com, you can still go to it. And it was like, the first time anyone saw what the product could turn into. So it was kind of like a technology preview. And that was number one on Hacker News for more than a day. We had 30,000 beta signups on it. It was pretty incredible. So that helped us get into YC. So that was market signal number one. It was like, okay, there's, there's something around this idea. Right. And then we had to build the product because that was mostly vaporware. And... Vlad, Sergi, and I were just working 16, 14, 14, 15 hours a day, six days a week that summer. And around July of 2013, I had just pushed a line of code. Vlad had just pushed a line of code and we're waiting for the build to complete. And we're playing a game of ping pong. And then after I beat Sergi, by the way, after we finished that game, we came back and was like, hey, Sergi, I think there's a new version and it's actually the product is working end to end now. So we'd like you to sit down and try it. And he's like, cool. Yeah. Let me, let me see what I can do. And both Vlad and I were like standing right behind his shoulder and we we're just watching him use Webflow for the very first time. And it just blew us away. I was like, holy shit. Sergi just built a dope website in minutes and it would have taken us an hour to do from scratch. And that's when I was like, okay, this is, 
this is coming together. And like you always have it in the back of your head. You're okay, this is what we're building towards. But when you see that first user kind of, you know, summit the peak, so to speak, and just like it works, the value prop is so clear to you. That actually gave me way more signal than any type of customer metric or sign up number. Just having that intuition that, oh, wow, this product is going to be really, really cool. So transition here a little bit. You've been a CTO now for two really successful startups in your career. And one thing that I've, I've, re- I've really admired about you is just your ability to execute at a really high technical level. But you always seem to be able to balance the strategic and business side of it, which is, I think, what makes you the you're like the Swiss army knife as an assassin. What do you think are key traits of really being a successful founding CTO? I mean, there's so many different variants of this answer, but let's just just maybe create a spectrum here. So the spectrum here is on a scale of one to 10, zero being not technical, 10 being very technical. And then there's this probably this other spectrum of, again, one to 10, one not having a lot of business expertise and 10 having a lot of business expertise or or st- strategic thinking. I think you could be 10 out of 10 on both, but you could still be unsuccessful. So I would say there's probably a few just magical ingredients that make a really successful founder. It'd be great if you were 10 on 10 on technical and on business, but there's here's what I think are are some of the magic ingredients. The first one is Having the ability to walk a mile in your customer's shoes, and you you hear that term here and there, but I think the best founders can really intuit what it's like to have the entire customer journey, understand the market landscape for that customer, and just like start to get this intuition for what it's like to to be a customer in that particular market. If you have that, and if you couple it with some other skills, like hard skills and strategy skills, I think that'll be a huge win. I think the other ingredient here, and this is probably something that have a little bit more than others, is just what my board member would say, a healthy urgency. But I actually think this translates to sometimes unhealthy urgency internally in the organization, frankly. And, And the frank reality is that I just like to move fast. Just think speed is the only lasting advantage that a startup could have. And if you don't press that advantage every day, you're losing ground. You're not going to be able to break out. You're going to let your competition catch up. And if you have that as a second ingredient, I think coupled with the other things that I said, I think you're going to do pretty decent because if you have a really good sense of of the customer and the customer journey and that turns into intuition and you if you couple that with a sense of urgency and if you have the ability to execute on a sound strategy then i think you have a pretty strong set of founder attributes now on the other side i often times will get asked from non-technical co-founders on the journey from zero to one hey I've got this idea. How do I go about finding a technical co-founder to work with me to build a startup? This one in particular is interesting because as a co-founder of a company that makes web development easier and app development easier, (laughs) I'd love to just get your perspective on that question and 
what advice yeah. or if anything do you think is critical for founders that are trying to find that technical counterpart and trying to validate their business idea? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, man, like 10 years ago, it was a completely different story, right? Like 12 years ago, like I remember you would ask me all the time, yeah, I got this idea. Like, you want to help me build it? Trying to sell you on it. it. I, got I don't know about site. that. I got this site called backdoor.com. Do you want to help me? Help me work on it with my brother. Brian's like, geez, is this kind of I'm site like, wow. is this? <laughs> I got to pick a different name, man. Backdoor, geez. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's obviously a different decade. No code tools, low code tools. They give you a lot. And this is just where if, if you're a founder that's not technical, but you have persistence and tr- determination, the kinds of tools that are out there now that help you build a low code or no code app or website or whatever it is, there's so there's so much stuff out there. So just like the barrier of, of entry technically is much, much lower than it, than it is 10 years ago. You could ask ChatGPT probably to build whatever you want. But the thing is, is that probably the vast majority of the largest startups that are going to get started in, in the next decade they will probably require a deep technical and I'm talking about technology st- startups, right? Not necessarily like other kinds of businesses, like products, consumer goods company. But like if you're, if you're thinking about building technology startup, I think just because the barrier of entry has lowered so much, the next largest technology startups will need to have some type of deep tech moat around it, especially in the world of AI. So I think if you're trying to look for a technical co-founder, I don't know. Like I found my co-founders from work, right? So Vlad was someone I worked closely with that into it. That might be your best bet. You probably have to work your existing connections and, you know, what, what better connection is there than the people that you're actually going to work with? Still selling you on the backdoor concept, but we'll, uh, we'll table that for another conversation. So anyway, so you and I have obviously, we talked a lot about Webflow over the years. My background is a B2B sales guy. I've always been just really bullish on the enterprise play and strategy for Webflow as y'all have gone up market. And you obviously have built a kick-ass product. There's a huge sort of self-service component to the Webflow product. I, every The Assassin's Podcast, our site, everything, our site is built on Webflow, on the, on the Webflow platform. But I'd I'd love to hear more about your experience building Webflow, sort of that transition from a self-service business and how the company has matured into an enterprise-grade solution over time. Because I feel like y'all have done such a a great job building that foundation before really moving up market. Yeah. I think this this has definitely been a journey for us. So from the start, all the founders were aligned that the innovation that we had could be benefited by wide swaths of creative professionals. And it didn't make sense to just sell to enterprise customers when there were like freelance web designers that really, really benefited from the value of our product. And he was like, great, that's fine. And I think I was the first one to be like, hey, like there's actually some huge companies that are signing up to use our product. Let's just go out and explore what we could do to maybe service these these larger companies better and then maybe hopefully just really accelerate our growth by signing some big deals with and i remember actually saw a company called zscaler back in 2014 mm. yep sign up and zscaler for those that don't know it's a it's a security company they provide a vpn solution firewall solutions 
And back in 2014, they were maybe a hundred person company, right? So they weren't even very big. I mean, they were like a $14 billion company. And I went on site, I talked to their head of demand gen, you know, he was asking me questions and I was in there with my like button up suit. I probably looked 16 years old and I just felt silly. Honestly, I was just like, man, I don't, I don't think I'm ready for this. I don't think Webflow is ready for this. The head of demand gen was like, well, do you guys support account based marketing? We're running hundred thousand dollars a month of CPC ads. How could I create a landing page engine? I was like, fuck, I don't think, okay, was, all right. I got the message. We're not there yet. But fast forward to 2019 and five years later, we had still grown really well. And effectively, Webflow didn't spend a single dollar on performance marketing until maybe we're past 20 million of run rate. It was all organic at that point. And we started to see more and more of these big companies sign up and we're just like, okay, maybe there's something more here. Let's, let's take it. Let's take another go. And what I did this time was I didn't pretend to be a, a salesman. And I, I was kind of more of like a coordinator of this effort. I, I took a customer support representative. We set up a special email inbox called Enterprise Leads. And I just asked him to start talking, to just start working that inbox. And, you know, if a prospect sounded interesting, maybe hop on the phone. And it was important that this person actually had some sales background in his past. I think he worked at like a bank or something. And each conversation that he had just gave us more and more confidence that there was real demand. We started to send out our first MSAs. We started to sign our first five-figure contracts. And there was no product differentiation. It was just security, service, and that's it. And security was just like, okay, we'll review your vendor question. And at that point, I was just like, hey, look, I think our organic business, our bottoms up business is going to do really well. But I think for us to become a really formidable business financially, we got to go up market. We got to start with mid market and then eventually enterprise. So fast forward two years, that customer support rep is now our leading enterprise AE. He's working our majors. So companies over 10,000. Just making bank. Yeah, like he came into the office the other day and he was just looking super fresh, like nice clothes and, you know. No, but he he is one of the most humble people and the nicest people ever. Um, his name is Brando. So shout out to Brando. You're, you're incredible. And now we have around 70 in the sales team. So we've gone from one rep in an experiment to a full-blown B2B motion. And I'll, I'll, I'll kind of go back to the origins too, because we haven't abandoned self-serve. I think we're one of very few companies out there that have committed to having self-serve plans, so credit card-based plans, and six and seven-figure deals. And it might feel strange, right? Because, hey, isn't this the same product? But it actually isn't. There's actually a few really important qualifiers that distinguish this. A big, big part of this is, yeah, elements of the technology are similar, but you're getting like the full weight of our customer success teams, our solutions teams, our technical architects. You're getting really advanced technology on top, such as like reverse proxies. You're getting a much more scalable CMS. So there are really important differentiators. So now if you were to ask me where we're going to be in three years, I would say our business is probably equally split among self-serve and, and sales-led and sales-assist. 
where I would say because of the brand that Webflow has and will continue to grow, it's it's a no-brainer for me to try to do both really well. And it's actually not something that a lot of SaaS companies should probably do, but at least in our space and at least with our particular positioning, I want to be able to offer a $20 a month plan so that assassins.com can continue to be on Webflow. And I want to go out and sell to the largest CPG brands, the largest e-commerce brands, the largest enterprise companies, and get their main dot-coms on Webflow too, because our technology platform is actually capable of that. So this is just really just ultimately a matter of pricing and packaging, making sure that you're building your roadmap. Some of them are going to be shared across self-serve and enterprise. Some of them are going to be sales self-serve only. Some of them are going to be enterprise only. Just be really intentional about how you're making those bets. We might fail, right? I'm not saying that this is bulletproof. It is risky, but at least our ambitions are still to provide very accessible visual development tools to to our customers, no matter what their financial profile looks like. I know it's First of all, it's it's Kirsty. It's your partner's birthday today, so she's probably going <laughs> to murder me if I keep you any longer here. As uh, as gifts are showing she up, she loves you. Yeah. She loves you. But I've been asking this question as we wrap of serial entrepreneurs. So, what is one thing that Bryant, the founding engineer, CTO, co-founder of Webflow, would offer as advice to Bryant, the founding engineer at Bungle? Yeah, so Bungle was my first company. So, honestly, I was so raw back then. I didn't have very good self-awareness, to be honest. Growing up, I actually thought I had mediocre intelligence and mediocre work ethic, but I just realized that it was because of the upbringing that I had that I was kind of mentally conditioned that way. And it actually turns out that I probably have more than above average work ethic. And I wouldn't say I'm smart, but I'd I, I say that I, I probably put puzzle pieces together at least with big strategic questions really quickly, which leads me to probably being three or four steps ahead of most most people I work with. And the lack of awareness around not knowing that I was three or four steps ahead and also not having the patience to kind of backtrack and lay out my rationale. I think I would have been honestly a lot more successful if I had the ability to thoughtfully communicate and really explain myself in a way that brought people along much better. So I do regret not getting therapy earlier, not kind of coming to terms with my mental state of being and specifically my communication style because that's what ultimately how it manifests. I would have definitely invested in that type of professional and emotional development much earlier. A lot of it too is growing up and yeah, as we close this, I... I just, I don't know, dude, I'm I'm just, again, really proud of you. And I feel like I've been able to sort of watch you on this journey. And it's been really, really cool to see that maturation too over time, even though I don't think I'll ever mature. I think I'm just going to, I just probably have stayed in the same state. So we'll see. But it's been awesome watching you just continue to thrive, man. And, and just really proud of you and, and everything that you guys are doing at Webflow. It's pretty special. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Cool, dude. All right. Well, with that, We'll wrap there. We're gonna have uh, we'll have to have Bryant back on the show. We're gonna see if we can shoot this live from Kells in San Francisco next time. Oh, We're gonna man. do a video. I don't know if do you think the I don't know if they'll let us back in there on Jackson Street. Well, 
as long as we stay on the right side of the bar and don't pour our own own beers, I think we're going to be all right. Everything is DIY now. Automation. It's like, right? Like, this is what we're talking about. So, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe their policy has changed, but maybe. Let's see about I don't know if they've taken my picture off the wall yet. We'll have to see. All right, dude. Well, have a great weekend. I send my love to Kiersey and we'll, uh, we'll talk soon, all right? All right, buddy. All Thanks. Right, all right. That is a wrap. Again, shout out to my dear friend, Bryant, the entire team at Webflow. Keep doing your thing and building a great product because the Assassin's Podcast depends on it. And I appreciate y'all. Next week on the podcast, we've got a really phenomenal founder. She is the first marketing assassin that we've had on the show as a founder. So we're going to talk all about positioning and brand on that one. It's going to be a great episode, so tune into that. Again, in the meantime, appreciate everyone tuning in this week. Hope everyone has a phenomenal Super Bowl Sunday. In the meantime, keep hustling, keep grinding, and keep getting that money. See them dollar signs, See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind. They say money over everything, everything, nation the game. Shopping for a wedding ring, salary, startups, crypto, stock exchange. Appreciate every penny, pocket change. One phone call.